Welcome back to the Deep Overstock Fiction Podcast. Today, we continue the conversation on Coleman Stevenson's Light Sleeper with Jihei Shin and Sarah Dennison. We are reading the poem, Nothing at All or Everything at Once. Nothing at all or everything at once. A salvation of objects, a suffocation of objects. Shelves and cabinets full and full of dust. A room full of ghosts with fingers tangled in their hair. Maybe it's a butterfly or maybe it's a bird. Maybe it's a twist of fibers left over from last year. A signature, a watermark, a pool of rain on the roof outside a schoolroom window. A bath for goldfinches sparking in the sun. Twenty golden boats. My first etheric vision, a memory almost aged out. My Tellurian self, still, a no-man's land, ley lines severed instead of walked. A day is undercut by the menace of not knowing how to spend it. The grit of your affection, insect hum of insect teeth, too quiet for higher ears, kills off a little bit more. I had already made up my mind, I just hadn't told you yet. I should feel free, but I come away snarling, warm the blood of the hands by slapping them together. These interior changes give rise to a magical worldview. I remember magic, turn into a bird to escape. This one seems to have a rhythm of its own and is somewhat similar to the Year of Dead Dogs, where you have the poem split on two sides. This one is split once and split again on the left. Sarah, what do you make of this poem and what do you think of the structure? And how did you read it too? We can ask how you read the lines. I think the first time I read it straight across, like I read through the gap and kind of like had that rhythm in it, you know, like kind of that like rocking rhythm. And then I read it again the other way. Like first I read the column the left and then the column on the right. I still wasn't sure, but the title is nothing at all or everything at once. So I think it, again, it it can be both. Yes, there's there's a definite rocking rhythm to it if you read it from left to right. A salvation of objects, a suffocation of objects, shelves and cabinets full and full of dust. And it feels different if you read it straight down. Jihei, what direction did you read it in and what do you think? Which one do you, do you have a preference? Yeah, yeah. I I read it down and then I read it across. Ah, you guys did the opposites. (laughs) It keeps happening. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That's good. We have different different starts. That's good. Yeah. So I read it down and then I read across and I noticed the rhythm there, but I liked the division. Hmm. So there's, there's really three little pieces, right? And I liked this empty space bisecting the, um, the left-hand column, as it were, because maybe, maybe it's because of the lack of that wide white space, but I, I actually also couldn't stop reading downward i couldn't help it because the poem i think here kind of presents it's almost like cinematic you know these close-up 
description, or not even description, these close-up naming, almost like a catalog of things. Maybe they're precious, maybe, maybe they're they're nice things or they're scary things, but they're they're things that are obviously of some emotional significance and resonance. And it was only after that I was like, oh wait, right, there's there's words on the other side of this page. <laughs> and I did the same thing again. Yeah. I just read it down, down. Only then I started piecing it together. We have two definite ways to read it then, and I think that they are different experiences. Reading it down is cinematic, as you said, and reading it across. I read it across the first time. Reading it across is very musical. You're not as much connecting the images as you are playing in the music. It's interesting that the poem has tackled both two, two, two very distinct ways of experiencing a poem and why to write poetry. Sarah, do you have images? We've been talking about macro lens stuff and looking at lots of movement or nature. Do you have images that you particularly like in this poem? Yes, but I'm not sure how to divide them. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) So a signature, a watermark, a pool of rain on the roof, outside a schoolroom window, a bath for goldfinches sparkling in the sun, 20 golden boats, or or a signature, a watermark outside a schoolroom window sparkling in the sun my Tolarian self, and then also a pool of rain on the roof, a bath for goldfinches, 20 golden balls. Yeah. I, I like that water image, water images. Is it a pool? Is it a watermark? Is it a window? Like something is sparkling. Something is left over after the rain. I don't, I don't know what it is, though. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's everything. Good titles and everything. Yeah, I I really did think it was about the the movie at first, and then I had to look at it again and go, oh wait, no, no. Yeah, this is came out two years before yeah. the movie, and I think she had written it a while, so it couldn't have been on her mind. But clairvoyance, yeah, clairvoyance. Yeah, it is. I think a beautiful one. It's a good one, also. I think to close out the first third of of Light Sleeper, because. I, I think Sarah's instincts to read it across is right, because otherwise a few elements of the right-hand side poem are a little too broken instead of what of not knowing how to send it by slapping them together to a magical worldview. And I'm like, all right, well, some of these you can kind of stitch together, but the other ones, you know, they're a little offbeat in a way that you notice because of how musical the rest of the, the the pieces you know the the visual challenge of having to expand your horizons in terms of the reader not getting tunnel vision like myself scared of the white state <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's um it's almost like a reverse overture right you know when you go to a show or um or or um, a musical you know presentation of some sort and they kind of give you a brief taster of what all the themes are like and this is so-and-so's late motif. So. But, uh, of course, it's at the end of the, of, of the first section instead of the, the first. I think, for me, at least, it's one of the most intimate descriptions, emotionally, uh, of, of the whole book so far. Because there's really no division anymore between the persona and the reader. My, tele- my Tellurian self. So even the persona themselves are are divorced right we're almost like in like a unembodied pool of consciousness together 
And so these little macro lens phrases, a pool of rain on the roof, a bath for goldfinches, they're kind of playful, yeah, but also they are all, I think, things that have movements that have, you know, that are alive in that right-hand side, insect have insect teeth. And then on the left-hand side, they're not all dead because it's butterflies or I think a lot. I'm not sure. I know they taste with their feet, which is not really in a, a, a normal thing, I think. Listen, that's what I've heard about them. I don't. Well, I haven't stopped to ask if it's, ask one if it's true. And how do you ask a butterfly? Yeah. Oh, well, let's ask Colvin. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they're more, not un, maybe not, you know, supernatural, but certainly more less. They're, they're more like strange phenomena, right? We've got ghosts, we've got we've got ley lines and like and and a sense of more ephemeral things or things that have already faded, right? Watermarks are there for people in the future. Uh, they're not really there for people now or in the past. So it's um if anything, they're indications of the past. So the cinematic overlap of these images it's definitely almost at this point i think um a, a scrapbook right a photo collage there's a mosaic quality to this last piece i really really like so it's not sentimental there is sentiment there is emotion to it but again i, I associate sentiment with being precious mm. and um yeah it's it's a little it's not i i can't help but feel a little sad about it because I had already made up my mind. I just hadn't told you yet. Yeah, there's a bit of, there's a hint of regret there, right? Almost nostalgia. There's a lot of nostalgia in, you know, a room full of ghosts with fingers. Maybe it's, it's just the fibers left over from last year. You now things are full of dust. Yeah, there are, as you said, living things. There's the goldfinches, you know, playing in the pool. There's maybe a butterfly, maybe a bird, insect homes, but then there's also all of these kind of like memories associated with all of them. That's kind of remnant of the things themselves. Yeah, it's a reverse Proust, you know, instead of having 60,000 words dedicated to a, a single memory that the, the tea-soaked Madeline invokes, it's it's just multiple tea-soaked Madeline. <laughs> I mean that I mean that as a compliment. <laughs> I like the the swapping too of the natural and the supernatural, the the blurring that occurs and the latter and the bottom parts of both columns here, because you know there's the the ley lines severed, but a memory almost aged out, a no man's land on the on on the other side. And at least it was curious to me. There's you know there's nothing to mirror that other side of it. There's nothing but the memory, and it hasn't quite aged out enough to fade. But, but, you know, you can, if then maybe it's not as strong as it used to be. There's a, a, a third space, as it were, with capital T, capital F. You know, the, the linality of all of these things that are cataloged here, all the more present, I think, in like the, the swapping halves. Because um, at the end of it, where it says, you know, uh, these interior changes give rise to a magical worldview. I remember magic turning to a bird to escape like that last turn into a bird to escape, it actually kind of sticks out no matter what direction you read it in, except backwards, I think. So that, that, that's an entirely different sound. That's an entirely different work. The lines 
directly before that kind of vicious, aggressive, you know, I, I come away snarling, warm the blood of the hands by slapping them together. That snarling, blood slapping, like these kind of harsh words or more violent words, you know, right after that, I, you know, I just hadn't told you yet, right after that kind of regret. And, but then at the end, you get this escape freedom. We did a magic issue. I remember at least, at least on, on my end of things with poetry, but there was like an element of, um, to gracefully kind of describe. So you either skated over it, right? Giving things the illusion of, of, of grace and class, or you omitted it altogether from the process. So I feel like a lot of the, those, and that's kind of something that I'm seeing here. There is, I think, magic in resurrecting the dead and making things disappear and reappear. And so I think, if anything, and maybe this is more magic with a K, sometimes the blood part is painfully necessary. I think that's also unfortunately true of poetry. I <laughs> <laughs> get the blood onto the page. <laughs> It's more satisfying to read as a reader, as, as you said. It's it's not precious. I I maybe that's just me, <laughs> but I I enjoy the dark side of things. I enjoy acknowledging that. I'm not sure if "enjoy" is the right word, but well, that's I think what I like about it. You know, it's not like a sadistic joy, and you know, the pain of seeing things die or, or decay, but but kind of an acceptance. Yeah, yeah, there's an inevitable thing. Um, it's, I think, Junichiro Tanazaki in Grades of Shadows, where he talks about, you know, like, dark. That's a great book. It is yeah. not. It, yeah. it is about toilet. I have not read it, that one. Well, if you were ever curious about the beauty of Japanese toilets, that is the yeah. book for you. You got to be facing nature so you can contemplate while you're on the toilet. You got to really think about how you design your bathroom. Very important. That that sounds right up my alley. <laughs> It's a wonderful book. Anyway, I'm sorry, G. I uh, know it's okay. You saved me from butchering the line because I don't remember it now. But um, you have to have a little bit of um, cold air coming in, and you can see the outside. So while you're there, you can spend the extra time to really. That's right. No, it's um, it's in like the the part where he talks about no theater and how mm. the like we are not afraid of the dark because if it is like dark, we'll just have like you know we will try and like sink into the darkness and find beauty there ourselves. And that's, I think, something that, you know, this book achieves very well. Yes, and Coleman has a lot talking about light and darkness, just the images of shadows and the relationship between different objects. And I think I like a lot how we've looked at this poem as the last poem. It is the last of Household Gods, and it's the last of our discussion today. We have, like Sarah, you said, nostalgia, objects that still remain or things that still remain. Then Jihei, if it's an overture giving us the themes for household gods, it's nicer to have it at the end, like an, like an inverted overture, as you've said, to see these household gods appearing, disappearing, and to not be precious with them, but to give them their due, I guess, and to see them in relationship. Acknowledge between, them. Acknowledge them. I really like this poem. We'll, we'll stop there. That was nothing at all or everything at once, and we'll end our discussion there today. I want to thank Jihei and Sarah very much for coming on and invite you to come on again for another discussion about Light Sleeper. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, that was a pleasure. Lots of fun. Join us again next episode as Timothy Arliss O'Brien 
Nicholas Yandel and I discuss The Taxidermist from Coleman Stevenson's Light Sleeper. You've been listening to the Deep Overstock Fiction Podcast. You can join us as we read by buying your own copy of Light Sleeper on deepoverstock.com slash shop. Use the code LIGHTSLEEPER at checkout. That's LIGHTSLEEPER, one word, no space in between. Thank you for listening and see you next time.